good morning again. Um, I'm thankful that uh, you're here today, taking this time to honor God and to worship Him. Um, it's, a, it's a great day to be able to be in this place as well. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't yet, that Connect card, if you take a moment and fill that out, and on the back, again, you can put a prayer request. If you want that to be confidential, you can mark that, um, but if you make sure your name's on that so we can kind of know um, who it is we're trying to encourage, but we're glad that you're here. Um, so the last couple of days, our leaders, our elders, and our staff um, met together to talk about uh, where's God taking us next. So this is a, a picture of uh, our staff and our elders uh, kind of near the end of the day. In fact, here's a more realistic picture of what it was like at the end of all that. Um, I, I got to say how much I appreciate those who serve as elders, our staff, and their hard work and their planning. And so we'll be sharing and encouraging and revealing things to you over the next few weeks. But again, I'm just so appreciative of every single one of those people and their love for Jesus and their love for you. We took the first 20, 30 minutes of our time together and just kind of walked all over the building and just sitting in places and standing and just praying as we imagine, like this setting here, people sitting here and in the back, and it's just, uh, I, I'm thankful to serve with a group of people who love God and put him first and pray for each and every one of us, and so I appreciate them. I think you're, you're aware of this, but did you know that if you're not paying attention to where you're going, you can really get yourself in a lot of trouble? together how important it is to pay attention to where you're going, to what you're looking at. Um, we are spending this time in a series just simply entitled Focal Point as we're taking the year 2020 and just talking about how we can make sure that we're looking at Jesus Christ, that we're paying attention to him, what that looks like and what that means. And this idea of a focal point, you know, photographers, artists, um, in, in their work, they're always trying to draw your attention to a specific place, right? To this is the thing that's most important. And you and I have a lot of distractions in our life, but where we want to be paying attention to more than anything else is Jesus Christ. And so the first, the first week of this, we took a look at Hebrews chapter 12, where it talks about fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ. And what we learned together was where it is we choose to focus is going to determine our destination. So if you want to think about where you're going to end up this year or the next couple of years, you need to be thinking about where you're focusing. Then the second week, we realized the fact that every single one of us is going to mess up this year, okay? You're going to have some time in which you're going to not be paying attention and you're going to run into a pole, right? You're, you're not going to be looking at Christ and suddenly you're going to just find yourself making maybe a, a terrible choice in your life. What do you do in that? And so we took a look at Peter, how he walked on the water, did this amazing thing, 
Yet he sunk down in the water, but where was it that he looked when he went in the water? He looked immediately to Jesus. He cried out to Jesus, and we learned that it's our temporary distractions. They are not cause for permanent failure in our life. Let's, let's just get back up and let's look to Jesus. Then last week, we took a look at just one kind of obscure, obscure verse in the middle of this whole you know, busyness and all this stuff going on in Jesus' life and how it just simply said that Jesus withdrew to lonely places and he took time and prayed and that our focus is going to happen in this life when we take time to withdraw and we take time to step away and spend some time with our heavenly father and let him help speak into our heart and into our life so today we're we're going to end up this particular series but it really kind of moves us into the next series but today what we're going to talk about is the fact that who you look at is going to influence your life who it is that's most significant in your life, who you're paying attention to, who you're looking at, they're going to have the predominant influence in our life. And of course, we want to look to Jesus Christ. That's the one that we want to spend our time paying attention to and thinking about. And so we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles there. There's Bibles in the seat in front of you. If you use the YouVersion app, um, you can touch the events tab on that. It's my phone, it's the bottom right, and then just find Wildwood Christian Church, and the whole outline's there, plus other things, but you can put notes in there. Now, if you use that and you put notes in there, make sure that you save that before, you know, the ser second service ends, because once you, that ends, you can't save that anymore, but if you save it, you have all your notes there. But Paul writes this letter, so there's several different letters in the New Testament that Paul writes, and, and they're all the people that he's had influence over, that he's brought to Jesus Christ. But the, the Christians that are um, in this particular area that he's writing to, I mean, he shows a lot of love for them, but apparently he has some concern for them, um, concern that they're not looking to the right place. They're not letting the right kind of influences into their life. Um, they're not just focusing on Jesus Christ and so he really challenges them, and we learn in turn that it's, it's Jesus we want to focus on. We want Jesus to be our influence. So my encouragement to you today is simply this, to embrace Jesus as your source of influence. Sounds simple, right? Let's learn the challenges that Paul has for us. So I'm going to read Colossians 3, just the first four, four verses, and encourage you to follow along. Paul writes this, he's writing to those Christians, and he says to them, Since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So a big part of the writing of this particular letter is that Paul is addressing a danger that those Christians are facing in which they're going to be influenced by what Paul, uh, the New Testament often refers to as a false teacher. Um, someone, a false teacher in its simplest form, is somebody who's trying to teach you and lead you to a place other than Jesus Christ being the only way of salvation. In other words, that they're trying to lead people astray to other ways of being able to find salvation, to other truths and other teachings. And so it was a great danger in Paul's day, 
in some ways we think, well, maybe it's not that big of a danger today. And yet Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount warns us about false teachers and false prophets that we need to pay attention. You need to pay attention to how they live their lives. And so Paul is saying that to these Christians. And so here's how he describes it. So look in chapter 2, um, verses 6 through 8. So he says this, Since then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. So he's writing it to these Christians. He says, rooted and build it up in him we're talking about christ strengthen in the faith that you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness then notice what he says in verse 8 he says see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends upon human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on christ so he's talking about these false teachers and he's saying what they're telling you is hollow and it's deceptive and what it's based on is not the truth about Jesus Christ, but it's based on living by a bunch of rules and regulations in this earth so that you can kind of be super spiritual. And as you read through that, you begin to see kind of the, the concern Paul has, but he's trying to warn them and say, here's the things that they're trying to teach. Basically what they're saying is you need to focus on the physical following rules rather than the spiritual, which is trust in Christ. And there's even some similarities in the words, like in chapter 3, 1, since you have been raised with Christ, in Colossians 2, 6, so then just as you received Christ. And at the heart of what he's saying is, <clears throat> because of what Jesus has done, who we pay attention to, who you and I focus on when we're trying to understand how to live this life, makes a huge difference for us. And if it's not Jesus, we can be in all kinds of trouble. I have this very clear picture. I'm in sec or third or fourth grade. I'm in my best friend's house, LG. <clears throat> We're in the living room playing, and I, I, I still clearly remember my mom and dad sitting in the kitchen with um, LG's parents, who get, my dad had brought to faith in Jesus Christ that had influenced them. But I remember the pain in my dad's voice as just a real sadness because he's having this conversation with this couple and they've been led astray to try to follow all these kind of rules and regulations that's how you're going to be saved and it, I, I just remember as a kid understanding the fact that this was breaking my dad's heart that they had been deceived in other words we need to focus on Jesus Christ it's not that we can't learn from other sources but if the predominant place that we're getting our truth is anything other than Scripture, anything other than the teaching of Jesus and his apostles, there's this danger of us being led astray. So that's why Paul writes these words. So here it is again, Colossians 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So he starts, since then you have been raised with Christ. That's a picture of salvation. You've been raised with Christ. It's a picture of what happens to us, that Jesus, in essence, raises us from spiritual death to true life because we have put our trust in Jesus Christ. So think back in your own life. For some of you, it's pretty recent. 
For others of you, it's a long time back. But think about when you said yes to Jesus Christ. When was that? Think about when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Think about standing before maybe a big group of people or a real small group of people, but you confessing your faith. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I mean, picture that. Remember that. That's kind of what Paul's trying to do. He's trying to bring us back to that moment. Maybe that moment when you remember literally being lowered in the water and coming up to, to a new life. So I remember when I, was, uh, when I accepted Christ, my sister and I actually did it on the same day. We didn't know it until that particular Sunday. My dad was the preacher of this church in Springfield, Missouri, and so he took our confession of faith in front of those people. And so we had a, one of those big, massive baptistries in that church. This one back here. So if you don't know, there's a baptistry back there. But it's, it's one of those you step down into, and then you step into again and sit down, and you just get lowered down. It's easier on me because I don't have to get all wet while I'm in there. But the one I grew up with, it was this big, I mean, it took up, you know, this huge amount of our stage. And so my sister and I go in there with my dad, I remember looking out, just kind of being a little bit freaked out, all those people. But Dad baptized her first, and so I'm kind of standing back in the corner. Again, I'm like fourth or fifth grade. I'm thinking, man, it's really cold up here. And I'm thinking to myself, if I just kind of lowered myself down in the water till my neck is like here, that would be so much better. And I just barely caught myself before I did that in front of that whole crowd of people. It, it was so cool. My sister and I have this connection because we both made that decision to, to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ on the saved day. And so Paul is reminding us, since then you have been raised with Christ. In other words, it's a past tense. He's pointing back to the moment when you and I accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. Since then you have been raised with Christ. And so it's a clear picture of what happens to us at our salvation. Colossians 2 you go back a few verses, verses 12 and 13, Paul says this, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. I mean, he's pointing back to the reality of salvation is we were dead. But because we put our trust in Jesus Christ, he and his sacrifice on the cross, he made us alive. And so this is the terminology that he's using there. He's talking about that. You've been raised because you died. And so again, he says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above. And so he's sharing, you've been saved, so you need to look to the one who saved you. You have been forgiven. You've come to life because of Jesus Christ, so you need to choose to let him be your primary influence. So he says, since then you have been raised with Christ, and he uses a similar phrase twice. Do you notice that? Set your hearts on things above, and then in verse 2, set your mind on things above. Now, it looks like that those are the same words, set your heart, set your mind. I don't know what translation you're using or what it says but actually the phrase set your heart and the phrase set your mind it's just one word each one of those is one word in the greek and they're similar but they're different to set your heart means i'm going after something with all of my desires 
It's my heart. It's my emotion. I'm going after something that's so important. It's my desires. But the other word, to set your mind, is like I am choosing to concentrate with my intellect on this. I'm going after something. I'm thinking it through. It's my intellect that's involved here. And so we seek after Christ with our hearts, our emotions, our desires. But we also seek Christ with our minds, with our intellect, and with logic. And it's no wonder when Jesus was describing this, he quotes from the Old Testament. But in Mark chapter 12 and verse 30, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with what? With all your heart and with all your soul. Um, Will you put that Mark passage up there for me, Joey? Mark chapter 12, verse 30. There you go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. In other words, it's everything we have. We're seeking after Jesus Christ. Set your hearts, set your minds on things above. Why above? Because he clearly says, because that's where Jesus Christ is at. That's where he's seated. He is seated at the right hand of God. That's a picture of honor and authority and of recognition. He is at the right hand of God. He is the one who has done the work that allows us even to be saved. We are seeking and looking for and searching for because that's where Jesus Christ happens to be at. And this idea of searching is all over Scripture. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so to set your heart and to set your mind, is it's this idea of an intense search. It's not just something I'm lackadaisical at. This is something that's so important to me that I'm going to search after it with all my heart and soul and strength and mind. And it's a great picture for you and I about who it is that we need to be searching after. What a great picture. We search with everything that we have. And any parent who's lost their child at some time understands the intensity of this, right? Searching with everything you have. So Christy, I don't know, she's three, four, five years of age. I'm not exactly sure. We're at Patty's folks' house. It's the summertime. The kids are outside playing, and suddenly we can't find Christy. And at first, it's not that big a deal, you know, because it's a big house, and big yard, lots of kids, but then you, you reach this point, you were like, we really can't find her. And everybody stops everything, and we're doing everything we can to search for her, and it, for her, and it seems like it's hours, but I'm sure it's only a handful of minutes, you know, but it's like this panic that comes over you, and you're just, you're just searching with everything you have. Now, she's just sleeping under the dining room table, and we finally figured that out, right? That's where she's at. But in the moment of that, and, and if you're a parent, if you've had that happen to you, you know that the panic that you feel, and then you just go after it with everything you possibly can. That's the intensity that he's talking about. We search after Jesus. We, we put our hearts and our minds on things that are above. And it's not just a one-time glance. I don't just kind of glance at Jesus and I'm good. This is uh, ever-increasing. Um, this is a continual learning and seeking and striving after this understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And if I'm going to live in the victory promised by Jesus Christ, he's the one I've got to look to for my guidance and my direction. So he says again, verse 2, set your mind on things above, 
not on earthly things. So I want you to listen to this story by a woman by the name of Lauren. She says, while studying my way through a PhD program, I worked part-time at the book review editor as a book review editor for a large website devoted to religion, spirituality, and morality. Beliefnet.com is a multi-faith website, has articles that would be interested to evangelicals, Mormons, Reconstructionists, Jews, Wiccans, Baha'is, Hindus, and just about everybody else on the planet. She writes, I started this job with the naive assumption that even though I'm a Christian, I could sally forth into this interfaith web world unharmed. I'm capable of separating fact from fiction, truth from falsehood, I thought. I can do the interfaith thing and stick to my guns. And for the most part, I still think that's true. I think God does want me to participate in interfaith conversations, both because I can little, uh, offer a little leaven to the loaf and, loaf and because I have a few things about fidelity and charity and devotion to learn from my devout Hindu and Jewish colleagues. But I've also learned that the spiritual world, even just a spiritual website, can be a dangerous place. For the better part of a year, I've been happily reading and reviewing books about all sorts of faith traditions, volumes of Rumi poetry, memoirs by Jack Sprong and John Dominic Crossan, books with titles like Two Days to a More Spiritual You and If the Buddha Dated. So one night at about 11, I was sitting at my desk reading a vegetarian Wiccan cookbook when I got it. I read and I read and write about books because I think they're important. I believe the books we read form us. And as a lifelong bibliophile, I think especially that they form me. What am I doing, I thought frantically. I've been spending eight months forming my spiritual self on books about Gia. I hit the floor. I had words with God. I left the office and didn't finish the cookbook review that night. I don't think flipping through the occasional book about Gia is going to lead me straight to hell. But I do think that Satan uses whatever tools he's got, even innocent-looking pop spirituality books. After my epiphany with the cookbook, I began praying for discernment before I went to work. I prayed to be surrounded by a battalion of angels. I prayed that Satan would be kept far behind me. I prayed before I opened a book, any book, even one published by a respectable um, evangelical publisher. I prayed that God would make it clear if I was not supposed to read the book in question, and I prayed that if I was meant to read it, he would give me the right eyes with which to do it. If he told me not to read a book, I wouldn't read it. I would find someone else to write the necessary review. So where are we setting our hearts and our minds? So if Paul was so adamant about where we look, then what about you and what about me? Let me challenge you to make a couple of choices based upon this passage and kind of the direction that we're going. The first one is this. I want to challenge you um, to eliminate the earthly to find liberation. And again, that phrase earthly comes from this passage. We need to reduce that which is earthly in our influence. So he says this again in verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Earthly things. Why is it that we need to pay attention and not set our mind on what he calls earthly things? The reason is, is because the lure of this world is very subtle and very powerful. 
Some of it we should not be messing with. Some of it we need to eliminate out of the influence of our lives. To allow our hearts and minds, into our hearts and minds, that which is contrary and opposed to Jesus is, it, is to allow an influence into our life that we, we don't want to have there. Whether it's what I look at, what I listen to, whether what I read, you know, um, if, if you want to take an important step in, in finding the liberation in your life that comes from Jesus Christ, you need to evaluate the things that you're letting influence your own life. I mean, if it dishonors Jesus Christ, in especially in a blatant way, or if it validates and endorses something that is sinful, I mean, we need to look at that, and we need to think that through. Is that something that we should eliminate, or at least limit in our lives? I like what David Frost said. He said, Television is an invention that permits you to be entertained in your living room by people you wouldn't have in your house. So what influence do you need to possibly eliminate or at least limit in your life? What is it that kind of has just subtly found its way into influencing you? And there's no one right or wrong answer to this. It, it depends upon who we are what's going on in our life. It depends upon the things, but we need to ask for the wisdom to know, God, is this something that is presenting an undue influence in my life? And so that's the first choice. The second one is this, that I want to challenge you to embrace the above so that you can discover victory that comes in Jesus Christ. The above is the spiritual. It's, it's Jesus, right? So again, he says in verse 2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. See, the reason we seek things above is because Jesus is the one and the only one who has the power to help us to overcome the stuff that we wrestle with in our lives. You know, that we've been lured in by the earthly, we all have, okay? I mean, every one of us. We all have struggles in our life that we can't overcome on our own power. And so we need to embrace what Jesus can do in our lives. We need to embrace that which is above. He alone can give the victory over the sin and the struggles in our life. And so we need to set our mind on him. We need to focus each day on Jesus Christ. And that's one of the biggest questions that we wrestled with over the last couple of days as leaders is how do we help all of us, as Walwood Christian Church, focus each day on Jesus Christ. How do we put that as a priority? What will that look like? How can we help us as a church family to be able to really look to Jesus Christ? Because together, what we want to do is to encourage you to embrace Jesus as your source of influence. That's what we want you to do. Because when he's our source of influence, nothing else can influence us away from him. So where we look influences everything. So this is kind of a, I think, a challenging, I mean, it's challenging for me, I guess, you know, this whole idea of trying to eliminate some things. Because there's a lot of things that I enjoy, and in, because I enjoy it doesn't mean I have to get rid of it. But sometimes I, I, I need to think through what it is that I'm enjoying and allowing to influence me and ask, is that, 
Is that helping me to embrace Jesus or is that subtly pulling me away from him? So that requires what I think some really honest reflection on our behalf. Maybe some honest discussion with somebody that we know and love that can help us think that through. Is there something that I need to eliminate in my life so that I can focus more fully and embrace Jesus Christ as the predominant influence for me? And I don't even know what that necessarily looks like for all of us. But it's something I think we need to wrestle with. And so a couple days ago in my Bible reading, I came across this passage in Psalm 139, which is really a great prayer. And so Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Joey, thank you. So David is praying this, and David, and it is a prayer, and he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, in a sense, that's a little scary, right? Because you're saying to God, I'm opening myself up to you, God. Search me and know my heart. Now, let me give you a little hint. God already knows your heart. He knows everything about you. He knows everything you've ever done. So whether you do it or not, God knows that. And so the invitation, though, is to say, God, I, I want you to show me. That's really what it is. He knows it. I just want you to look at me and show me, help me to understand, is there an offensive way in me? Because I don't, I don't want that to get in the way of me following the path that leads to everlasting life, that leads to real life, now and even forever. And so what I want to encourage you to do is uh, we're going we're gonna to say this out loud together, all right? We're going to kind of pray this out loud together. You can look up on the screen, but make it a prayer between you and God. So let's, let's pray this out loud together, all right? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you and we trust you. And so we invite you to search our hearts and our minds to show us what is really getting in the way, to give us the courage and the wisdom and the strength to, Father, to just be able to let you be the predominant influence, to let you help us to eliminate those things in our life. Lord, we, we want to focus on you. We want to every day focus on you, and we ask for your help, Lord, and for your strength, and it's in your most precious name we pray. Amen.